All right, First Chronicles 23 to 27 is what we're going to look at tonight. If you remember uh, Chronicles, uh, first 10 chapters, nine chapters are a lot of names and very little truth in between the names. And if you remember back when we looked at those chapters, we uh, looked at uh, how they are connected and some of the purpose of the uh, behind those names. So what we're going to look at tonight is uh, five chapters so that we can slow down at the end of the book for David's final instructions before he, he dies. But what we're going to learn from David's uh, practice tonight is uh, to answer this question. What is the purpose of being organized when we are full of days? All right. So uh, if you look with me at First Chronicles 23, verse 1, it says of David, when David was old and full of days. So I'm recording this. Uh, for a group in my office that most are not in this category of old and full of days. That's a compliment. But when I spoke this morning, <laughs> I spoke carefully uh, with a crowd that was um, everybody retired except for um, except for two of us. And so everybody... Uh, in there was 70s or 80s and they laughed but they're like okay yeah i guess i am old and full of days okay and i said to put this in context david dies at age 70 so he may be 68 69 or this is his 70th year so uh and i was speaking this morning to those who were uh at least that old uh, as david but this is a compliment for David, as you will, you could compare, and we're not going to look for time, but you can look at, this was said of Abraham in Genesis 25, 8. It was said of Isaac in Genesis 35, 29, and it was said of Job in uh, Job 42, 17, that these men lived a good life. It was, they were old and full of days. And so uh, if you, we would say they lived a good long life today probably that would be our vernacular how we would say it but this is how the old testament looks at life and david uh, and this is someone recording this years uh centuries after david lives but they look back at the old testament and they're writing around 400 years before christ they're looking back and looking at david and job and abraham and isaac and saying these men have this in common they lived a good long life and their life was full of days. It was a full life. They lived life to the full. They did what God wanted them to do. And so you get that from how Chronicles records David's life. David does what God wants him to do. For the most part, not perfectly, but he does what God wants him to do so that he would look back at his life and say, I lived a good life, Solomon, and now it's your turn. Um, and that's the flavor you get in First Chronicles 22. That's also what we'll get at the end of uh, when David's last words are recorded for us. But what we're seeing in 23 to 27 are putting this together because there's a lot of names and a lot of uh, numbers that you're like, oh, this is kind of like the beginning of the book that you kind of just want to skip over. So I'm encouraging you not to skip over this like I encourage you not to skip over. Uh, at the beginning either because there's some valuable lesson a life lesson for us to learn uh david is very organized solomon is going to probably be more organized than his father 
but David is known for his organization. We saw that when he wasn't organized, he's carrying the ark like the Philistines did and someone dies. And then he takes time to get organized and does it God's way. He learns from God's word and he's organized with the Levites carrying the ark as they're supposed to and great joy. He's very organized when it comes to military campaigns and he conquers all the promised land. God's with him. And now we looked at last week how he was organized with how much resources he collected and people that he collected uh, to help Solomon build the temple. So building on that idea of his organization, we have in chapter 23, 24, uh, 25, and 26, there is organization at the end of David's life. And this organization is focused on the spiritual aspect of his life and of the nation that he is he is ruling. So to answer the question, what is the purpose of being organized when we are full of days? Here's the answer. Help the next generation to obey the Lord. So when you look back, when you're at the end of your life, and for some of you, you may be closer than others here in the room. And when I spoke this morning, everybody could, <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, this is applicable to me right now. Like I need to be doing this now because I am older and I'm fuller in days than many of you here, but you're going to get there. Um, and so what can you do um, when to be organized and how should you focus your organization? What this passage does for us is show us how important the spiritual life of the nation is to David. How important, and this whole book shows us how important the temple is to staying faithful to God long-term. In the New Testament, we'd look at a church and how important it is for a church to be established and the leadership in a church, but they don't have churches in the Old Testament. What do they have? They have a temple, or they will have a temple, and they've got priests and Levites. And so that's what we're going to see a lot of tonight in 23 to 26. So the organization of the spiritual life is a top priority for, uh, for David. So a life that is spent walking with God will wisely be organized so that the next generation are equipped to walk with God when the person who is old and full of days is passed. So if you look with me at verse 1 again of 23, when David was old and full of days, he made Solomon his son king over Israel. Now, this isn't that unusual. Many kings were co-rulers uh, with their sons. But what we know about Solomon is he's not the oldest. He's chosen by God. And you'll read uh, about one of the other leading men that they don't choose their oldest son, uh, probably because of the lack of his spiritual life, and say, okay, it's not about uh, who's the oldest. And how was David chosen? Was he chosen because he was the oldest son? <laughs> he was actually the youngest. Solomon probably has, I don't know, eight to ten older brothers uh, that could have been king uh, ahead of him. We don't even actually know how many. We had, no, we had at least seven um, that were born in Hebron before they even moved to Jerusalem. And so he he likely has many older brothers, and none of them were chosen. And he's chosen despite his age because he's young and, young and inexperienced. And so he is chosen because David values what God values, not outer appearance. He values the heart. And Solomon is displaying a heart, even as a young man, a heart after God. And for a kingdom that is supposed to be the kingdom where all the nations are going to come worship through, 
through this nation and they're going to build this temple that's going to be magnificent which we saw in, in chapter 22 then we must um see that david prioritizes the spiritual temperature of israel far above uh, the rest of the aspects of life so when we get to the end of our lives and our children look at us and they look at the legacy that we are leaving behind would they say mom or dad grandma grandpa they valued things of the lord far more than money far more than what the world values they valued spiritual life and this is what Dave, this is how david is focusing the organization the organizational skills that he has achieved as a king he's focusing these so that he's handing off a kingdom to solomon that is so focused on the spiritual uh, well-being and the faithfulness of the next generation that if solomon fails it's not going to be david's fault <laughs> it's going to be solomon's fault and we can set our children and grandchildren up for spiritual succession what we know and david knows that they're He's got Absalom, he's got Amnon, he's got other, he's got Adonijah who's going to try to take over the throne and Solomon's going to have to take him out. Um, so they've got, they've got issues in their family. First Chronicles doesn't bring out those issues like Second Samuel does. But what First Chronicles wants us to see is David's organization when it comes to uh, the spiritual life and the spiritual life of the family and the nation is a top priority. So what are the Levites doing in chapter uh, 23, uh, you'll see there's wisdom and skill required. There's a numbering of the Levites in verse 2. And if you compare the number of the Levites in First Chronicles 23 with numbers, you will find that they only they counted all the Levites a uh, month old and older. And, and I think the number was around 22,000. And now they're just counting 30-year-olds and upward here in verse 2, and the number is in verse 3, and the total is 38,000. So a lot more men in the Levite tribe. And so they organize their, uh, the 38,000 with verse 4. 24,000 of these, David said, shall have charge of the work in the house of the Lord. Uh, they're going to be helpers, and we'll see what their job description is at the end of this chapter. Um and 6,000 shall be officers and judges, likely throughout Israel, to administer justice, to teach the people the law of the Lord, and help them to um, obey God's law. Uh, verse 5, 4,000 gatekeepers. They're going to be stationed around when the temple is built to keep people from coming in that shouldn't be in. Uh, the gatekeepers weren't uh, functioning when Christ had to go cleanse the temple because they were selling things inside the temple. They got past the gatekeepers that weren't doing their job in Christ's day. And then 4,000 shall offer praises to the Lord with instruments that I have made for praise. So David makes instruments as well as, uh, he's a musician, but he makes uh, instruments. And there's going to be 4,000 of the Levites who are solely musicians to praise the Lord. All right, there is, uh, he organized them uh, by their sons of Levi. You see there in verse 6. And you can go back and compare numbers uh, to what the different sons of Levi had to do with some carrying um, the uh, tabernacle, some carrying the the blankets or the the, um, the curtains around the tabernacle. And then the one family, I think it's the Kohath, Kohathites is what uh, um, Aaron is from, are going to be the priests. And they're supposed to carry 
um, the special um, furniture instead of on carts they're supposed to carry it on their on their shoulders. So you can read about that. Let's look down to verse 25 and see what the Levites uh, role is. Verse 25 says, David says, the Lord, the God of Israel has given rest to his people and he dwells in Jerusalem forever. So remember why they needed all these men to carry the tabernacle because it was mobile. And as they go wandering around the wilderness, they have to set up the tabernacle. They worship for a time and then they got to tear it down and they go <laughs> over and they got to set it all up and then they got to tear it down. They have carts to help them with this. Uh, and it's a process to set this up and have it functioning and then they tear it down. So two of the three uh, sons of Levi, their families are supposed to be carrying this and just helping set it up and tear it down and transport and set it up and tear it down. Well, what do you do whenever you don't have to do that anymore? You've got a temple or you're planning to have a temple very soon. And David says that God's going to dwell uh, his people uh, with his people. And he's going to dwell with them in Jerusalem forever. So there two thirds of these Levite families aren't needed to carry around uh, these poles and curtains uh, because it's going to be a temple. So the Levites no longer need to carry the tabernacle or any of the things for its service. Verse 26, verse 27, for by the last words of David, the sons of Levi were numbered from 20 years old and upward. So the spiritual leaders of the of the priests and Levites were 30 years old. Uh, that were counted, but uh, younger, more able-bodied Levites, 20 years old, uh, because they are able to assist, and we'll see what they're doing, verse 28, for their duty was to assist the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord, having the care of the courts and the chambers and the cleansing of all that is holy and any work for the service of the house of God. Uh, their duty was also to assist with the showbread and the flour for a grain offering and the wafers of unleavened bread, the bake offering and the uh, offering mixed with oil and all measures of quantity or size. And they were to stand every morning. So you remember the morning and evening sacrifices that were required in the daily life of Israel, starting with Moses and uh, continuing. And Moses lives 400 years before David. And continuing those 400 years when they're faithful to the Lord throughout the book of Judges, they're doing this. They have morning and evening sacrifices. And there's going to be Levites who are supposed to, verse 30, they were supposed to stand every morning thanking and praising the Lord and likewise at evening. So accompanying the sacrifice of the morning and evening, there are some of the Levites who are going to be trained for music who are going to stand and encourage those offering the sacrifices to thank and praise the Lord. Every day, morning and evening, verse 31. And whenever the burnt offerings were offered to the Lord on these special days, Sabbaths, they had more offerings, new moons, they had more offerings, uh, feast days and other number, according to the number required of them regularly before the Lord. Verse 32, thus they were to keep charge of the tent of meeting and the sanctuary and to attend or to help the sons of Aaron who were the priests their brothers for the service of the house of the Lord. So they pretty much can do everything but go inside the holy place and offer sacrifices. They're doing everything. And if you can imagine, sacrifices were very uh, covered with blood. And so imagine the mess that is going to be in the temple as you have in the temple complex. You can read about how, how many thousands of bulls are sacrificed on the day that the temple is dedicated. That's a lot of blood that should and if there's that much blood um 
there is a lot of need to to clean up after this. So you can see how thousands of people are going to be required to um, clean this up, to provide daily for the showbread, everything that to, to keep the temple running uh, on a daily basis, the altars and and all the sacrifices and the praising of the Lord that accompanies the sacrifices, all of this is going to be the job of the Levites. Now, in particular, a part of the Levites uh, are the sons of Aaron, which are the priests. And so uh, it's going to be required uh, the wisdom and skill for priests. If you look, we're not going to have time to look at all this, but look at verse 10. There is a name that is mentioned in the New Testament in verse 10. There are 24 uh, sections of priests, and they are divided, and either whether they take a week or two uh, on, and then they take the other 23 cycles off, or maybe they take a month on and take almost two years off, but whatever the rotation is, there's uh, your, if you're on duty, you're only there 1 24th of the time, and we have a cleaning schedule at church. I think there's 12, let's say there's 12 people, so every 12th week, we take turns cleaning the church. This is what it was like for the priests. And of course, Aaron is the high priest. And then he passes on high priest, I believe, to Eleazar, then Phineas. Um, and so the high priest is still functioning at the time of Christ, a thousand, almost a thousand years after this. Uh, but there is a priestly um, family of Aaron's line. And those are the men who are able to offer sacrifices. They're also able to go inside the holy place uh, and eat the showbread and offer the incense. And that's what you can read about Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. So the eighth group in verse 10 of chapter 24 is Abijah. And if you compare that with Luke 1, 5, uh, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, a husband of Elizabeth, is of the family of Abijah. And fascinating how over 970 years later that they're still doing this the organization that david provided here before before the temple was even built is still going on or it was probably destroyed when the temple was destroyed and it comes back and they reorganize like this but this is fascinating that these these 24 cycles of people serving uh john the baptist father zechariah is said to be of this abijah um and you can read that in luke 1 Luke 1, 5. So the primary and task of a priest is what in the Old Testament? He is to stand as the mediator between sinful men and a holy God. How can we get from sinfulness to the holy presence of God? It required a priest. He had to be consecrated. He had to be from this line. He had to take the sacrifices from the common people they had to transfer sin from on laying your hand on the head of the animal and confess your sin. And then the priest would take your sacrifice and he would offer it. And then, you know, the high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies. So the first task was to be the mediator. Do we need a mediator, though, in the New Testament? We don't need a mediator because from the time Jesus cried out, it is finished. The veil of the temple is torn. The role of the priesthood of which David established here is done. There's no more priests. Now they tried to function as priests from about 8030 to 8070 when their temple is destroyed, and now they can't offer sacrifices because they don't have a temple. And they God didn't want them to have a temple. 
uh, after AD 30, they should have said, okay, God tore the, <laughs> God tore the, uh, the curtain. And now we've got to trust Christ. Oh no, they hated Christ. Who was it though? Who was the people who were chanting, crucify him and whipping the crowd into a frenzy? It was the chief priests, the people who were supposed to mediate between God and men. When the, the mediator comes, they put him to death. They are the ones who hated Jesus the most. And they can't deny that the veil of the temple is torn because the gospels tell us it was torn from top to bottom. God tore the veil. It wasn't man-made. It wasn't man tearing it. And Christ is here. Hebrews 7. Hebrews written, I believe, just a few years before AD 70. A final plea to the Hebrews. Turn from Old Testament Judaism to New Testament Christianity. And... You can see in Hebrews 7 that Christ is a better high priest. And it's 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 so beautiful um, how Hebrews lays it out, that you have to trust a the high priest, and you don't need man anymore. The God-man Jesus has replaced the man's uh, man-only priest. So a priest's task was to mediate between sinful man and a holy God. And this role is com perfectly completed and replaced by Jesus. Then the second task, probably uh, not as clear in the Old Testament, but you'll see it in Deuteronomy 33.10, that the second task of the priests were to teach sinful man to know and obey God. So there are times in a priest's day when he's not offering sacrifices and cleaning up and preparing for, and so he's teaching the people what God's word said. And they're primarily the first five books of the Bible of when uh, Deuteronomy 33.10 was written. And so who is doing that today? Well, in the church, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers are doing that in Ephesians 4.11-16. But when you see Matthew 28.20, which we looked at last week and compared the Great Commission to 1 Chronicles uh, 22, you'll see that all those who are making disciples of all nations and baptizing them are telling them, they're supposed to teach those people to observe everything that Jesus said. So disciple makers are teachers, as well as the um, all those following Christ are to make disciples and teach them everything. Uh, you see that in the Great Commission and Ephesians 4. Uh, the evangelists and pastors and teachers today are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to know and obey God's word. All right, so there is... Um, that's chapter 24 is the, the priests. There's so much more in this and you can um, you can read it. But they are to obey and follow the uh, commands that uh, the Lord God of Israel commanded them to follow. Chapter 25 is all about musicians. You'll see, see three categories of musicians. You'll see Asaph, Heman, and Jaduthan. Asaph is ascribed to 12 of the Psalms in, um, in, our, in our book of Psalms, chapter or Psalm 50, and then 73 to 83 are all Psalms of Asaph. Keman is only given one Psalm um, or ascribed to one Psalm, and it's the saddest Psalm in the Bible. <laughs> it's Psalm 88. And when we studied lament, this was the most... Uh, <laughs> heavy dark psalm in our bible if you don't have any resolution 
to uh, don't see any resolution to your problem and are in a in a dark place, Psalm 88 is for you. And according to First Chronicles 25, Heman is a man who has 14 sons, three daughters, and the Lord blesses this guy. So he's a blessed man because of his size of his family. But there was a dark time in Heman's life that he writes Psalm 88. And that's the only psalm that's recorded uh, for us that's ascribed to him. Now, there are other psalms that don't have it, an author ascribed to. The third category, Jeduthan, uh, we don't have any uh, psalms ascribed uh, to him. It doesn't mean that they didn't write any, uh, or they just um, possibly wrote some that were not labeled with their name in Psalms. Um, so they are the leaders of, and if you look at the number of skillful musicians in verse eight, or seven and eight, that they are uh, 288. And so they have 24 groups of 12. I don't know why 12, if you sing in a small group and have a quartet sound of four different parts and music and if it's over your head that's okay but if you have three people singing each part soprano alto tenor bass uh, you have a good size of an ensemble uh, and it sounds like they have the same type of rotation because there's 24 groups of 12 and they come and they might follow the same schedule that the priests follow of chapter 24 and what are they doing they are just singing and praising the Lord. But notice, if you will, in chapter 25, the word prophesied. So look with me at verse 1. David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service of the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jaduthan, who prophesied with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. Skip down to the end of verse 2. Um, under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied under the direction of the king. And then verse 4. Uh, sorry, the end of verse three. Uh, Jeduthun, who prophesied with the lyre in thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. What's going on here? These guys are prophesying, but I thought they were musicians. If you look throughout all of the scripture, you'll see one of the jobs of the prophet is to take new revelation and give it to us. And that's what we often think of prophecy. But often prophets also just shared with the people and warned the people what God already said. So if you think of Ahab and Jezebel, God sent them a prophet, Elijah, and said, you should not be worshiping Baal, okay? Telling them what they uh, has already been revealed. They already knew better. You think of the last prophet of the Old Testament, and he's in John the Baptist in the life of Christ, and he is a prophet. And what does he tell the king? He says, you should not have Herod. You should not have your brother's wife. This is against God's law. So the prophets uh, often shared and were proclaimers of God's truth. And that's probably the idea here that these musicians are proclaiming God's truth, not just in preaching, but with, it says, with lyres, which is like a guitar instrument and harps and cymbals and all these musical instruments. So they are proclaiming God's word as the worshipers are coming. And we saw them back in chapter 23 too. But they are morning and evening. They're on this rotation. 12, and whether they serve a week or two or a month at a time, every morning and evening sacrifice, these 12 men are there and they're praising and thanking God. So they may be learning songs, they may be singing the songs that are written in our in our uh, Psalter, or they may be uh, singing other songs of worship to the Lord, praising the Lord. And the people, as they're coming to offer sacrifices, they're learning songs. 
similar to our worship service where we sing songs and those songs stick in our head and we sing them throughout the week. Uh, this would happen when um, the worship was going on as David has organized uh, this. So chapter 26 uh, and 27, we will uh, just summarize briefly. So the spiritual life is the top pri priority. 24, 25, 23, 24, 25, and half of 26. And 26 tells us about the gatekeepers, and they've got all around, whenever they're going to build the temple, they've got these gates for people to come in. The worshipers are going to come in, and there are two gatekeepers to guard, and there's a number on each side. You can see that in verses 17 and 18, how many um, gatekeepers are there on each, probably based on how, how big the doors are in the gates. David has this all planned out, and he doesn't get to build it. He's got all of this laid out. He's got it all planned out. And he's like, and Solomon, I've got all these people already lined up. I've got the musicians lined up. I've got the priests lined up. I've got them so organized. All you have to do, Solomon, is just get the machine going. And so I've got all these people in place. And this was David's, you say, a swan song. This is his... Um, this is his way of going out, focusing all of Israel to worship the Lord. Um, the, the fascinating amount of detail here uh, that Chronicles, and remember the theme of Chronicles, it is staying faithful to a covenant-keeping God. Our God has been faithful to us, so this is how we're going to respond. And David sets up Israel to be extremely faithful to him. All this organization for the purpose of that the next generation, David breathes his last, the next generation just comes and they start obeying the Lord. You'll see uh, there is, David's got other ish, other um, people in life, in his life, not, not just the spiritual life, but the top priority here is the spiritual aspect of life. He's got someone in charge of finances. He's got someone in charge of law enforcement. That's the guys in the military in chapter 27. And there's 24,000 that they take turns as well. Um, uh, someone for governing. Uh, they've got different leaders of all the tribes of Israel. They're going to kind of almost like the United States where each of the states kind of govern themselves. And then there's a national government. So all of the tribes of Israel govern themselves with leaders um, and David's got uh, those people in place when he dies. And then he's got people around him that are known for their wisdom. Let's look at verses 32 to 34. Um, Jonathan, David's uncle, I'm, like, I'm assuming he's older than David, uh, was a counselor, being a man of understanding and a scribe. So how did David write all this down? Well, he doesn't do it all himself. He's He's got these ideas. He's got these other people. And he's got people around him that are writing these things down. So he gives Solomon, let's assume that if Solomon assumes the throne and he's got all of First Chronicles 23 to 27 written down. And the scribe, uh, of which Jonathan was one of them, is uh, has written all these plans for the temple, all of this organization. He's written it down and Solomon just has to read it, understand it, and then implement it. Uh, so... Uh, continuing verse 32, he and Jehiel, the son of uh, Hakmoni, attended the king's sons. I'm going to assume that these two guys are going to uh, train or educate the king's sons in the laws of the Lord and the laws of the land and what God says. Ahithophel, we know of him and his demise with Absalom, was a, the king's counselor. And Hushai, who 
went against Ahithophel's advice and saved David's life. Um, the archite was the king's friend. And Ahithophel dies before David does when his uh, advice isn't taken. And uh, he was succeeded by Jehoiada, the son of Benaniah uh, and Abiathar. And Joab was the commander of the king's army. So Joab looks pretty good in this in this book, stopping the plague or stopping the counting that would have increased the, the guilt on Israel. So there's a lot of wisdom. David's got a lot of people uh, advising him and passes this on to Solomon. So I asked the generation uh, that was here this morning, I said, so how do you, how are we going to apply focusing the end of your life when it is said of you that you are old and full of days? What can we learn from this passage of the focus is not on the will, like we would say a will today, that you have to have a will and you got to have a lawyer and he's got to tell you all your kids and your grandkids who gets what. And that's that's okay. That's uh, chapter 27 does talk about the assets that David has and the, the treasuries. And, and but that's not the focus of this passage. That's part of one chapter. The vast focus of this these chapters are on the spiritual life. So what can we do when our, what's the purpose of being organized at the end of life? And what were, are we going to pass on to our kids and our grandkids? And we started talking this morning and I got a little bit of feedback from those who are in this stage of life. And they said, it sounds like we need to be like writing down what we want our kids to know about God and our grandkids. What, and I said, yeah, so maybe what we need to how the Lord has helped us, how that we tell our kids like First Chronicles 22, the Lord be with you. We need to tell them how the Lord was with us. And you may have great grandchildren. I knew one of my great grandfathers and I was probably four or five years old when he passed. So I didn't know him well, but all my other great grandparents, I knew nothing about my one grandmother. She died when I was three. So I knew, and you probably don't know hardly any of your great grandparents and their, their influence in your life isn't that strong because you didn't know them. Unless your grandmother, grandfather says, hey, let me tell you about my parents and how much they loved God. And they're the reason that I was in church and that why your mom and dad are in church and why they brought you to church and how you know the Lord because of these generations. So could you, could you and I, as we're thinking about what, what's life like when we are old and full of days. How can we be organized so that the next generations will want to obey God? How are we going to set them up to obey God? And maybe writing what God has done for you. And you can look at First Chronicles 22 in the particulars. You can also look at the end of the book. I believe it's 28 and 29, where David's going to address Solomon again and the nation of Israel. But we can and should be thinking about what we want to pass on to our children and grandchildren is not stuff and millions of dollars. What we want to pass on is, here's how you obey God. And these are the blessings of knowing and seeking and obeying God. Those in your life that have done that or that you admire, you're like, oh, okay, I learned from them. I wanted to know God because they influenced me. That's what David's doing here for Solomon. The other sons, it doesn't sound like they're getting it. 
At least Solomon definitely gets it and he starts out um, well. And the purpose of being organized when we are full of days is this. So what the, the next generation will want to know and obey God. All right, let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your truth. And I pray that you would give us the grace we need to um, learn it and obey it and apply it to our lives in the 21st century. Give us hearts that want to seek and know you, as David told um, those in, in First Chronicles 22, to seek and know you and help us to seek and know Christ and imitate him and help us to tell the next generation that obeying you is the best life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.